Just a warning, this episode mentions thoughts of suicide. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, or if you just want to talk, you're not alone. You can call the Suicide Prevention Hotline any time of day or night at 800-273-8255. Okay, here's the show. At the end of the day, I think my blindness, it's something that I'll never be able to fully understand, but just accept the fact that this is a part of my life now and not look at it in a negative way and look at it as another opportunity to grow as a person. Welcome to Getting Through. I'm Andrea Sonnenberg. I was reminded of the loss of my son and how difficult it is to understand his passing while listening to Jenny talk about how difficult it is for her to understand losing her sight. It's so natural in horrible situations to ask why, why me? But you can't stay inside those questions. Dwelling on the unanswerable makes it impossible to survive. And Jenny doesn't occupy herself with her blindness. She's moving forward, using her experience to help others, a goal that also resonated personally with me. After I spoke with her, I felt like anything was possible. Well, my name is Jenny De Los Santos. Um, I'm 21 years old. I have three younger siblings. My parents are from, my mom is from Guatemala and my dad is from Mexico. I play music and I listen to music. So I sing a little and I play 11 different musical instruments. And I am currently studying psychology at um, community college and hope to transfer soon. And I hope to transfer to San Francisco State in fall of 2022, get my bachelor's there and then get my master's at a four-year after that. I want to be a therapist for adolescents, um, but also I want to kind of build my therapy around people who are going through or have gone through the vision loss and haven't been able to really fully cope with it. Um, I think that's something that I would really, I would enjoy it. And because I've actually gone through that and I I hope to help people overall. Jenny's eyes have posed a challenge her entire life. To kind of give you a background, I was born with glaucoma um, and an eye disease called Peter's anomaly. Um, and basically that just really messes with my eye pressure and it puts a lot of other things at risk. Um, and when I was born, both my corneas were being rejected. My body was rejecting both of my corneas. Um, so they, I went into surgery right away. Mm. Um, so they were only able to save one of my corneas. And so in result of that, I had two different colored eyes. One was like a bright blue and um, the other one was like a darker, regular, I would say like a regular blue. Um, but the other one was like really bright. It wasn't until elementary school that she felt she was different. So the kids would call me zombie eyes. They would make fun of me. They would stare at me and I could see mm. them staring at me because I did have a lot of vision left over on my on mm. my good eye because I was, I could see fully um, fairly well on my left eye and then my right eye, I was completely blind. So I could see them staring at me. I could see them make fun of me. And they started calling me a lot of names, like, like I said, zombie eyes. And mm, kids can be so mean. Yeah. 
very. <laughs> um, but my parents always taught me to kind of brush that away. How did you do that? How were you able to do that? I don't, I don't think I ever really was able to. Being in a Hispanic household in, in that culture, I think they really wanted me to um, brush it off and, you know, kind of keep moving forward, keep my head up. Um, so they never really, I don't want to say they let it happen, but in a way, to some extent, they did. They just kind of, they they just assumed that I was a really strong person and that I could deal with it because that's what I put up a front as. But there was a sadness there that I didn't really face until later in my life. In seventh grade, Jenny's vision took a turn for the worse. That's when my vision loss started. I had a surgery, laser eye surgery, specifically to bring down my pressure because of my glaucoma. And that caused me my vision um, to start to gradually go away over the years. So this might be a difficult question, but I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like to go from being sighted to being unsighted. Hmm. I think... Well, I know, actually. <laughs> Being sighted and then going blind, it's difficult to, you know, to put it simple. But the struggle was to not lose myself, which I did. Um, I lost so much, like, act, like physically and mentally. Um, I just, I just can't believe the difference. Like, I was literally thinking about this the other day, like, I look back on all the all the relationships, all the things that I've lost just because of my blindness, because the world is so a lot of the world is very ignorant. So I, you know, it's really hard for me to lose myself as a person, mm -hmm. um, which unfortunately I, I did. And and now, you know, I had to work through all that. It just kind of like drowned everything else out like people don't see me as Jenny the girl who you know likes to sing the girl who loves the music it's just Jenny this blind girl and mm -hmm. so people tend to forget that I am a I am a just a human just like everyone else you know so people tend to forget that about me and they 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 eliminate all my other qualities and and just kind of they're not able to overlook my blindness and just be like oh, she sounds like a really cool person to hang out with. It's like, oh my God, blind girl. Um, I'm not even going to approach, you know. Becoming blind changed her relationship with herself and it changed the way other people saw her, even people in her extended family. So it's very, it makes them feel very small too. Like I'm never going to be able to fit their expectations. Dealing with all of this was mentally exhausting. I started to self-harm in middle school. I wanted to feel the physical pain because I was so broken inside. I wanted to match what was on the inside to the outside. Um, mm. So that was an, a really unhealthy coping skill for me. And how did you get help with that? Or did you get help um, with that? I didn't, not till high school. I was also really good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. um, so no one was, was alerted to be like, oh, like, we should get her help. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it wasn't until high school when I finally reached my breaking point and I decided to speak up for myself and ask for professional help. 
Jenny remembers the first day she asked her mom if she could go to therapy. I was in high school and I was doing some Spanish work in my Spanish class. Mm-hmm. And I was reading my Braille Spanish book, um, but I was super frustrated with the fact that the whole class was like finished with the assignment that was given to us. And I was still reading my Braille book because I had to learn Braille at like a really late age because of my vision loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fairly slow. And to, to make it kind of simple, Braille is like a whole different, I wouldn't say language, but it's like a code. And so for English, there's a specific code for math. There's a specific code that you have to learn for Braille. Same thing with Spanish. Um, and music, you know, if you read music, you got to learn a new code. So I was still learning Braille in general. And then I was learning Spanish at the same time while I was taking Spanish. So I just remember getting really frustrated. I closed my book and I shoved it like off the table because I was, I was so fed up and I'm not usually mm-hmm. particularly aggressive like that in any way. That was just, that's how much it was hurting me because I, I literally, pushed my book off my table and I went home that day and I told my mom what had happened and I told her mom like I really need help I was 16 at the time um and I said I really need help I can't I can't do this anymore I think my vision loss really really affected me in a way where I can't deal with anything anymore um and I need to face that now I know I know that you guys and like my family has put me up on the platter to be really strong and really able to deal with all these feelings, but really I can't. And being my mom and the supportive mom that she is, she was like, she definitely um, expressed her opinions. She's not big on therapy. I think that's a cultural barrier there. Um, She doesn't understand why I would want to go and talk to a stranger essentially Mm -hmm. about my feelings. But she was willing. Jenny often thinks about the stigma surrounding mental health. It's always going to be there, but specifically in the Hispanic household, it's super like, oh, like, get over it, that kind of thing. You know, like, there's people who have it worse than you. It's something that my parents know that I hate hearing. And I told them there are people who have it really, you know, difficult, but I'm my own person and they are them. And my journey is my journey. You know, I don't want to be compared to, to any, anyone else. In spite of her initial skepticism, Jenny's mother teamed up with a school counselor to get Jenny treatment from a therapist. And Jenny needed the support because this period in her life brought a cascade of difficult challenges. She was a teenager who, in addition to dealing with the typical teen issues, was learning to live without her sight, as well as coping with the stigma surrounding her loss of vision. She was bullied online and at school. She was experiencing depression and panic attacks. My official diagnosis is major depressive disorder with psychotic features, and I do have PTSD. Around how old were you when that when that happened? I want to say I was around 17 or 18 when I had the psychotic features added. I was, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder when, when I was like 16. What does that mean with psychotic features? Well, for a period of time, it's it, like I'm gonna say, my last two years in high school, I I heard voices in my head, and it's really hard for me to explain. But the best way I can put it is like, it's like a robot's voice. Um, the, and I say that because there's no gender 
mm-hmm. to the voice and I can't tell whether it's a male or a female and I, mm-hmm. and I don't recognize the voice. It's just like this really distinct voice and they they told me really negative things like kill yourself and you're not oh worth my. it and oh my it, it was a lot the voices when they first started up I was like 17 um and when they first started I was like what is going on like what am I hearing and I remember the first time I heard them I was in my room in the dark um and it was just me sitting in my laying in my bed and I was like what's going on and then um I just remember them it was like multiple voices in my head and they were just telling me like um you know kill yourself and you're not worth it that kind of thing um which is a lot of what I was cyber bullied about um so I think that's maybe where it came from I'm not really sure where it came from but being in that moment and listening to those voices it was I almost felt like not a human like what's what's happening what am I supposed to do at this point um and then the voices were a lot of the time the reason for my suicide attempts so in total I had six suicide attempts um I was hospitalized for five of them and I think it's when I was, you know, gonna do it, I I was so lost and depressed and I couldn't find like a way of of really ending all the pain other than ending everything else. Mm-hmm. Um and that led from self-harming to like to the suicide attempts, I think. It was such a really dark place for me that I couldn't, I couldn't even think about like everything else that I was letting go. Um, so when I was hospitalized for every of those, um, every other suicide attempt, the first two were were really, really helpful. The treatment in the hospital, I did notice a difference in the treatments from when I was a, a adolescent to when I was an adult. In um, a way. When I was a teenager and I was hospitalized, um, it was super, super interactive, very productive. The doctors were constantly um, willing to help you. And, and you know, the whole environment in general just seemed really, really well-rounded. But after she turned 18, she was being treated as an adult and the type of care changed. I mean, I guess I get the whole, like, you know, you're an adult now, you can choose whether or not you go to, you participate in the treatment that they're giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that, right? But I had the option to to participate in the group therapies that they were doing as an adult. Um, and me being the really depressed and suicidal person I was, I didn't want to get out of my bed. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to stay in my bed and sleep the whole time. And it got to the point where I just, I, I'm not, I don't say this with pride, but I, I lied myself out of two of those because I just didn't want to be there. And I just basically, I basically said I was okay, which I wasn't. That's why I ended up going back there. And what do you think that the hospital could have done differently? Be more 
pushy. People need that motivation when you're when you're stuck in in an abyss of unmotivation. Like there's you need a little bit of a boost, mm-hmm. especially if you're going going to get professional help. I mean, I don't. I I remember just not wanting to get out of bed and not even wishing that I hadn't woken up. You know, mm-hmm. and when I you know, I do recognize that, you know, I have to put in my part and stuff. But when you're in like a really like in a professional guidance kind of environment, um, I really needed that push and I didn't get it. And what was that for you since you weren't willing to do it when you were in the hospital? How did you ultimately get to that point that you were willing to do it, do the work and, and get yourself healthy again? Good question. I think my main my main goal was to be a therapist since I started struggling mentally. Um, and that was my motivation. Um, but when I was sitting in that hospital room and I was like, God, I'm never going to get out of here because there were those moments, you know. I just remembered like, if I don't get out of here, how am I gonna how am I gonna let my family know I'm okay? Because you know communication is very limited there. How am I gonna let my friends know I'm okay? How am I gonna be able to help anyone and tell them, let them know that I'm okay so that they can be okay? That and give them that hope that maybe one day they'll be okay too, you know? So that was that motivation for me, just helping people. Jenny started to make progress, but of course, having motivation is only part of the equation. She has participated in individual and group therapy and a form of trauma therapy called EMDR that helps to reprocess and reframe traumatic experiences. She was also prescribed antidepressants and antipsychotics. I want to say that the antipsychotics definitely helped the voices. Um, The last time I remember hearing the voices was when I was like around 18 or 19 years old. Um, I'm 21 now and I haven't heard them up until this point. Um, so they definitely help. And I think in terms of the medication for the, for the depression, um, I think this goes with every other medication, but I had to put in the effort. I, I think when I first started the medication, I relied on it way too much, um, to just be like taking them and I'll be like, okay, well, hopefully I'll be better one day. But, um, I eventually realized that I had to put in the effort too, and not just rely on my medication. So what is that effort that you have to put in? Lots of therapy and um, lots of coping skills and learning to take care of yourself, self-care overall, um, and just being able to set boundaries for myself. Figuring out those boundaries and self-care is hard. Jenny is still learning to navigate the way people treat her as a person who is blind. Uh, Especially when, like I said, I'm in those uncomfortable situations with friends and family that I don't fully interact with. Um, that's when I, you know, use my coping skills mostly. Jenny listens to music. She threads beads onto string. She has an aromatherapy diffuser that calms her. And she often plays with a fidget toy. How often do you have panic attacks? Do you, do you still have them? And how often do you have them? I do still have them, but not as often as I used to. I think about three months ago, I would have told you that I had panic attacks like three to four times a day. 
I would have them pretty often. And to, to this day, I think I would say panic attacks vary from like two to three times a week. Yeah, that's a lot better. What would you say is the reason that you have so many less panic attacks now than you used to? Um, building my tolerance for mm-hmm. uncomfortable situations that I wouldn't be able to put myself in like last year or something, you know, going to family gatherings, um, that I don't necessarily enjoy myself at, um, just, I'm at the point in my therapy where I can do that and it won't, I can manage. One thing that helps her manage these days is something called a butterfly hug. When you place your hands crossed over your heart. Well, in, in the therapy session, it would be like they, my therapist would ask me to bring up a memory from my past that really makes me uncomfortable. That gives me a really disturbing feeling throughout my body. Mm -hmm. Um, and he would have me analyze that, that scenario, um, talk about the emotions that it brings up for me. And I would just close my eyes and I would do the bat- the butterfly hug and I would tap um, for about a minute or so or however long I need to. And then take a deep breath and then we would talk about it and what what feelings and what thoughts came in throughout that time. Another pivotal experience for Jenny was spending time in San Francisco at the Hampton Center for the Blind, which teaches independent living skills like cooking and technology. She was also able to make friends with other people who have lost their sight. But it was learning to go places on her own that made Jenny feel like she could do anything. So just being able to travel on my own was a really big, um, empowering feeling for me. During class time, we would go out and we would practice a certain route, whether to be whether it be to the grocery store or like the local pharmacy or something like that. And we would practice those routes and we would practice taking public transportation like the bus and BART. So I think that would be the highlight of the whole center um, in general, because I think once you got that in the bag, you know what's stopping you really. And Jenny really does seem unstoppable. Despite her challenges, she's doing well. She has friends and close family who support her. She's studying to fulfill her dream of helping others. She's no longer on medication and was discharged from therapy this past summer. But you think through all the work that you've done, you found yourself? I want to say I'm on that path, yes. Two two or three years ago, I couldn't tell you that I, I actually like myself. I don't, I'm not comfortable with saying I love myself yet, but I know that that's where I'm headed because I do like myself now. And have your parents, have they changed their opinions about therapy and, and mental health support since you've gotten the help that you've gotten? They're more understanding of how mental health can affect someone. I wouldn't say change their opinions, but I think they're more willing So what advice do you have for others that are struggling in similar ways? Don't underestimate yourself. I think um, one of my two favorite sayings that um, I really like to tell myself all the time is every single day is an accomplishment. I think finishing up a day is like a really underrated accomplishment in general. (laughs) Um, Because like, you know, when you're struggling and you're going through the day, like, and you're laying in bed and you're just like, 
oh, like I got through that and or people just fall asleep and you don't really soak in the fact that you got through that. And that's that's a really huge accomplishment, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, just like don't um, underestimate your accomplishments and just appreciate everything the good and the bad because at the end of the day that's what really makes you who you are the other saying would be like two negatives make a positive I really rely on that saying a lot because um if you focus on the negative you know not focusing on the negative and is obviously unhealthy a lot of the time but if you learn to appreciate it in a way where you know you can um turn that into a positive being negative about negativity doesn't get me anywhere so you know, just appreciate both good and bad. When you picture success for yourself, what does it look like? Success for me, I think success for everyone looks very different. Um, But I want to be able to finally be okay with who I am and be happy about who I am. And I want to be able to not necessarily accept my blindness because at the end of the day, I think my blindness, um, it's something that I'll never be able to fully understand, but just accept the fact that this is a part of my life now and not look at it in a negative way and look at it as another opportunity to grow as a person. And I want to be able to just be happy with life and and not be so negative about my blindness. I feel like for a long time, I've been blaming my blindness for every little bad thing that's happened in my life. I want to just be able to to be successful as a therapist and be able to have people overlook my blindness. And Mm -hmm. because I feel like being a blind therapist is something that I don't really have a lot of, like, I don't know much about that. I don't know anyone who is blind and a therapist. I'm sure there's one out there, but I haven't interacted with one myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to be able to just be a therapist and not um, have people slap that other label on there and I want to be able to you know my dream is to have a family and live in San Francisco and just just be at peace what gives you hope I think it's definitely my my commitment to helping people overall because if if I wouldn't have survived all of my suicide attempts if I wouldn't have overcome self-harming I wouldn't be able to sit here today and be telling my story and help and help people who are struggling today I think that's a really big thing for me I really my heart is like set on that this is the last episode of our first season I'm so grateful to all our guests and to you our listeners And I hope my healing journey has in some way impacted your own journey. If you like the show, please give us a review in iTunes or tell a friend about us so we can continue to share these stories to raise awareness, stop the stigma, and form a supportive community that offers hope and pathways to healing. We will be back for another season soon. Getting Through is made possible with the support of USC Hillel through the Bradley Sonnenberg Wellness Initiative. It's produced by Hannah Beal, Micah Smith, and me, Andrea Sonnenberg. Original music by Micah Smith.